You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the June 2021 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This month, we will begin with Dr. Lars Eric Christensen, who is a senior author of a paper entitled Relationship Between Fatigue and ACR Response in Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis Treated with Tumor Necrosis Factor Inhibitor Therapy, a population-based cohort. Dr. Christensen will give us an overview of this paper. We went about to conduct this study first because we know from various sources and it's been replicated that fatigue is one of the main issues if we ask patients what's bothering them the most. So it's certainly an element of disease or symptom to look for. So that was the main driver. And then we wanted to see in this nationwide cohort of Danish patients how they behaved after we initiated an effective biologic treatment. And two things were actually quite a surprise to us. One thing was that uh, we saw that, of course, we could diminish fatigue, but there was quite residual fatigue even after effective treatment. So it still remained a problem after we initiated effective treatment. That was one thing. And the other thing we found out was that, of course, it's correlated to uh, our classical outcomes, our classical ACR, joint outcomes, responses, but it's not that correlated. We, when we looked at the CAPA statistics and so on, it was only low to moderate in different patient groups. So it seems like it's, it's more or less an entity in itself that co-lineates with inflammation and our classical joint outcomes, but we have to regard it as, as, as its own intensity. That came as a surprise to us. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Christensen reviewing his article on the association of fatigue and ACR response in patients with psoriatic arthritis on anti-TNF agents. I would now like to move on and highlight my next article entitled Benefits of Methotrexate Use on Cardiovascular Disease Risk Among Rheumatoid Arthritis Patients initiating biologic disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs by Z and colleagues and is accompanied by an editorial by Dr. Joel Kremer from Albany Medical College, Albany, USA. As we know, cardiovascular disease remains a major cause of mortality and morbidity in patients with RA. In fact, a meta-analysis has shown that cardiovascular disease-related mortality was increased by approximately 50% in RA patients as compared to the general population. Methotrexate has been shown to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, likely by controlling inflammation and or reducing cytokine production. In RA patients, the use of methotrexate has been associated with a reduced risk for cardiovascular disease events in patients not exposed to biologic disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or BDMARDs. 
The aim of this study was to examine the effect of the concomitant use on cardiovascular disease in RA patients when they were started on a BDMARD. To achieve this aim, the authors examined a U.S. Medicare claims database and found 8,255 biologic DMARD initiations over a 10-year period. In total, they found 1,861 events. A multivariable adjusted hazard risk for cardiovascular events associated with the methotrexate showed a protective effect as the risk was 0.76. Please read this paper and the accompanying editorial entitled Methotrexate in Cardiovascular Disease in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis Insights and Novel Speculations by Dr. Kramer to see how the findings of this study may benefit your patients and to see if the effect was seen overall for all biologic DMARDs or just a subset. The third paper to highlight is entitled Relationship Between Genetic Risk Score and Age of Diagnosis in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus and is by Dominguez for the Canadian Network for Improved Outcomes in SLA, Canios, and the Apple Investigators. I am the senior author on this paper, and although this may be, seem like touting my own horn, this was not the reason I chose this article, as I'll shortly explain. This article is accompanied by an editorial entitled, From Prehistory to Precision Medicine, Our Genetic Risk Scores Are Next Step, by Dr. Sarah Reed of Uppsala University, Sweden. As we all know, genetics are important in determining the risk of developing SLA. Most studies examining this issue use genome-wide association studies to determine which individual single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs within a specific gene are associated with a higher risk of developing SLA as compared to otherwise healthy controls. In contrast, this study used a genetic risk score. This looks at the combined effect of all SNPs that had been determined up to that point using GWAS studies. And this was the sum of the score. Actually, there were various genetic risk scores used, the details of which are in the paper. Individually, both HLA and non-HLA genetic risk scores were examined, and they looked at the age of onset of SLE and how ethnicity may affect this association with genetic risk score and age of onset of SLE. The total cohort consisted of 1,540 patients of which 675 had childhood onset LE and 865 adult onset SLE. The age range was from one year to 82 years. 
Please read this article to find out if HLA and non-HLA genes affected the genetic risk score and age of onset of SLA in different ways and how ethnicity may have played a role in altering this association. In the accompanying editorial, Dr. Reed reviews the value of genetic risk scores and SLE and the strengths and weaknesses of this paper. The fourth article I would like to highlight is entitled Hospitalization Rates Are Highest in the First Five Years of Systemic Sclerosis Results from a Population-Based Cohort 1980 to 2016 is by Coffee and colleagues. Systemic sclerosis, as we know, is associated with high morbidity and mortality and may lead to prolonged hospitalization. The purpose of the study was to compare hospitalizations among incident cases of patients with systemic sclerosis as compared to age and sex max comparators in Olmsted County, Minnesota, USA. As you may have expected, the authors found that the overall rate of hospitalizations were higher in cases as compared to controls at 31.9 versus 17.9 hospitalizations per 100 person years. The difference in these rates were, as commented in the title, highest in the first five years, which was at 2.16 for patients as compared to controls. This rate decreased over time. And interestingly, by greater than or equal to 15 years, the the difference in hospitalization rates were no longer significant. Although the hospitalization rates were high, the lengths of stay and readmission rates were similar between patients with systemic sclerosis and controls. Within the systemic sclerosis group, hospitalization rates were almost three times higher in male as compared to female patients. Please read this article to understand the findings of this study compared to previous studies and how specific symptoms in patients with systemic sclerosis may affect the rate of hospitalization. The final paper to highlight this month again looks at hospitalization rate only this time it is in patients with osteoarthritis. The paper is entitled Hospitalized Infections in People with Osteoarthritis, a National U.S. Study, and is by Singh and colleagues. The aim of this study was to examine the incidence, time trends, and outcome of serious infections in patients with osteoarthritis. To do this, the authors examined data from 1998 to 2016, which they obtained from the U.S. National Inpatient Sample. The U.S. National Inpatient Sample is a stratified sample from 20% of all 
of discharges from community hospitals and includes patients with and without insurance. Of course, it does not include all community hospitals, nor all states. The author specifically examined hospitalizations for opportunistic infections, skin and soft tissue infection, urinary tract infections, pneumonia, and sepsis or bacteremia. Overall, they reviewed more than 3 million hospitalizations in patients with osteoarthritis and compared this to more than 46 million hospitalizations in patients without osteoarthritis. They found that serious infection rates per 100,000 hospitalizations increased from 1998 to 2000 sample as compared to the 2015 to 2016 sample. This was true for all five infections studied. Please read this paper to find the implications of this increased rate of hospitalizations for patients with osteoarthritis, the characteristics that differed between hospitalized patients with osteoarthritis and controls, and what patient demographic factors, factors related to the hospital itself, and insurance status were associated with higher health care utilization, and in addition, in hospital mortality. I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only the highlighted articles, but all the articles in the June 2021 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition, the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.org, and please listen in to the highlighted article and the full length interview, I also encourage you to listen to my interviews with senior authors of selected COVID-19 articles, and these you can see on our website or on our YouTube channel. If you have any comments or questions on these highlighted articles or any article in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.org. Please listen next month to the July edition of Editor's Highlights. And please stay healthy in these unusual times. Thank you.